What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. So here's the situation. COVID-19, fall sports, you're being canceled places. Michigan says, you know what? We're just going to move football to the spring. So I was talking with Patrick, and there's no way in Texas that we could health- healthily, safely do that if you put all of the spring sports and football. And so that's the situation that John Seiko is finding himself in. It's important for us to figure out what is going to happen. So we got fall sports, and then I can just see John thinking, what would Jocko do? What would Jocko do? And so since luckily he's been doing this leadership series for about two years, is a great time for him to say, let's put all this stuff that I've been talking into practice because this is a time that really needs some leadership. So my friend John Seiko is back on the podcast. So John, give a hello, a wave, and then we'll introduce Patrick. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited. Uh, I'm really excited to get this uh, third series up and running about leadership and athletic training. And um, Jeremy, you said it best. Listen, we uh, we had a lot thrown at us uh, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we've thrown a lot of, a lot of good skills and ideas out to athletic trainers over the last couple of years. We had a lot of great feedback from our listeners. And uh, what, what a, you know, you never want to say what a great thing this, this world pandemic can give us, but it has provided a lot of us a, an ability to lead up and a lead, uh, take over some leadership uh, opportunities. Um, and I'm really excited because I think this series this month, we're really going to touch on a lot of those things. Um, and Jeremy, you know, you and I had texted earlier this morning, um, <laughs> fun little text message. Listen, my four-year-old uh, decided to sleep in today. So, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we, how do we make plans? You know, I said, uh, you know, Jeremy, I texted Jeremy, I said, Hey, listen, I'm gonna be a little bit late. I'm gonna be running a couple seconds behind, but I'm gonna, I'll be on before we start. And uh, your response was, Hey, prioritize and execute. I said, listen, <laughs> enemy always gets a plan. And Jeremy said, uh, you know, you got to make a plan B, C, D. I said, well, plan, don't overplan, right? So we threw a lot of those things over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, we learned a lot over the last six months uh, how things are going to change. And uh, just like that, you know, you plan, you, you try to overplan that, uh, you know, you, you, you know that the enemy's always going to get a, a vote when it comes to planning. And just like that, you know, football is canceled here in Michigan and then it's back. So we're about week three already here in Michigan, but, uh, you know, the season's been cut short and, uh, you know, we're finding a lot of changes taking place. So really excited to get talking about it uh, and how it's changed and how, uh, how we've been able to affect the healthcare of our student athletes from our perspective. All right. So again, that, that was just fun, the back and forth this morning, texting with John. And uh, it's, it's because of the conversations that we've been having and we continue to have. And people like Patrick emailing us saying, Hey, I like this about this podcast. I didn't like this about this, or, you know, I, here's my takeaway from it. And so it's, it's really cool. Like he said, to see people responding, asking questions. And then, you know, some of the other conversations we are going to have are involving people who have responded, who have asked questions, who have um, showed that th- this stuff that John is teaching is, is, resonating with athletic trainers. So Patrick, welcome back. Patrick's situation has been um, similar to uh, many athletic trainers. He was furloughed during COVID. He had to change jobs, kind of shift gears some, change positions. 
and he was on a leadership journey before all of COVID started. And so Patrick wants you to say hello real quick and do a little intro. Okay. Hey, well, great. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeremy and John. Uh, like I said, I, I was introduced to you guys about two years ago when you guys did the first round and I got on board of the extreme ownership, uh, journey, got the books, got, then got, went to dichotomy and I, I soaked up all of the, that knowledge. Uh, uh, and it, and I was a supervisor for our athletic training outreach program through the hospital, which uh, unfortunately was discontinued uh, June 26 of this year. Um, no, nobody was spared. Um, and we had 19 outreach locations. And I was a, one of the supervisors that helped to administrate those uh, uh, sites and deal with a staff of about 26. So luckily I was able to, I'm also the athlete trainer at Highland High School in Highland, Indiana. Um, and I've been here about 14 years. Um, Highland is in Northwest Indiana, just very near Chicago. Uh, we're one of the few counties in Indiana that are in the central time zone. So Jeremy and I are in the same time and John is in a different time. Uh, although John is only about 300 miles from me. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. So, um, now I'm uh, employed with a different hospital system, still the athletic trainer here at Highland. Um, and I was blessed that the administration and all the higher the administration wanted me to remain here. I had no intent of going anywhere else at the, at the time in, in July. Um, and it, I think it will lead towards the leading up aspect as everybody knew what my job and my importance to this school town uh, is, and that, that that pays some dividends in July. So thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Absolutely. So I actually met Patrick in person at NATA in Las Vegas, and he introduced me to Tom Barkowski, which a lot of you will know from the AT Wolfpack or AT Talks, those kind of things. He's pretty active on social media, like similar to Mike Hopper, and again, just advocating for the profession. Um, and again, he's done a lot of cool things because of the leadership that, you know, he's been providing. So, John, COVID moved football to the spring. Like you said, it shut down football, started it, shut down, moved it to the spring, moved it back. So what is it currently looking like there in Michigan for you? And then Patrick, you'll go next. Yeah, so we're uh, pretty status quo right now. Uh, you know, if, if you looked at this at a snapshot, you wouldn't think anything had really changed. Uh, but our spring sport, I'm sorry, fall sport were, uh, we were allowed to do off season conditioning in a more formal way. <clears throat> and that started at the end of May and into June. Uh, we were able to do some organized team activities. So uh, we were able to, to put together some on site things for all of our sports. We were able to do some training. Uh, and with that was it forced my staff and, and uh, our school to do screening procedures, uh, put together full plans uh, for the health and safety of our students and our community. Um, that involves locking down the campus, locked, involved temperature screens. Um, you know, we were able to produce a QR code to track our athletes. Um, and over uh, nine weeks, we were able to screen over, I believe, 3,000 athletes. So that's not every single athlete, but um, that's, that's athletes screening in multiple times over nine weeks without a positive uh, case of COVID. Uh, we did a really good job, my, my team, my staff, uh, and our administration 
they busted their butts in, in long hours. Uh, I'm talking seven o'clock in the morning till uh, almost seven o'clock at night where we are out there doing screenings outside. Um, there were days where uh, we had to do weather precautions and we had to shut things down because we weren't allowed in the buildings. Um, but, you know, we, we put together uh, a pretty comprehensive plan you know, using the NFHS document. Uh, we contacted uh, my buddy Kurt out at Kansas City to see what they were doing in the MLS. And uh, they had a really good plan uh, on how they screened their athletes. We did, we took that screening procedure, we adapted it to the high school. And then uh, when we got that down on paper, had a full meeting with our administration, uh, other teams kind of, other schools kind of came back and looked at us and said, what are you doing for your sports and how can we do these things? And, and, and what can we take to adapt? And I just said, take what you need out of it. Uh, you can adapt to how you is, how you can, or how you want to. And, um, you know, what we saw around our area within our conference, a lot of schools just removed our letter, our header. Uh, they took off the Bloomfield Hills Blackhawks and they replaced it with theirs. I'm completely okay with that. I want that care out there. So if they needed to just change the logo on the top and continue to do what we were doing, I was really happy with that. And we saw a lot of teams do that around the area. Um, so we did that for about nine weeks or so. Uh, we get into early August, and I think August 12th was the start date for football here in Michigan. Uh, there was a lot of confusion with our state association, uh, the MHSAA, as to how we were going to go about things. If you look at the NFHS document, it's a three-phase approach, and we decided to start in phase two in what's called a modified phase two. We were allowing certain things. We were taking out certain things, so our volleyball programs had to practice outdoors and they loved it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a huge change of pace. We took our students and uh, our coach was awesome. He brought in new met, new nets. We had um, tons of students out there. They were active. They were, they were on the grass. They were doing something completely different, but at the same time, they were able to practice their sport. Uh, cross country was cross country. Tennis did a great job. Um, and then we got our dance team involved and they were really great too. They were able to use the field. Um, we had to parcel off certain parts of the campus for different sports. Um, and, and, and then it was a learning process. At first we had our dance team out by the parking lot and then we realized that wasn't as secure as we wanted it to be. You know, there were people par uh, walking around and um, you know, we just felt that wasn't a great area for our students. So we had to block off different times on the field. Um, so, you know, we did that for a couple weeks. Um, and at that same time, we were getting a lot of executive order changes, uh, from the government. So the state and the governor were coming through every couple days, uh, changing things, providing us with uh, enough information. And then, um, you know, the MHSA had their changes as well. So they would take lead from the, the governor, uh, they would hand it down to us and we would have to kind of disseminate some of these rule changes. A lot of it was different. A lot of it was very confusing. And we had to do our best with uh, sifting through all of that stuff. Extremely difficult, long days, long nights of sitting on a computer, rereading scripts and, and rereading texts from the news, rereading releases. Um, you know, if you think that your, your math is ever done as an athletic trainer, I'm not a great math person. I can't add really well. I can't subtract. Uh, but when I get a, a notice from the governor that states, you know, you're allowed 10% of your capacity up to the certain point, and then you have to divide that by six feet. And then, 
it throws us in a whirlwind of planning. And what I get is different from what our AD gets. And it's different from what our state or our school board president gets. And then we have to figure out who's right and, and then agree on things. Um, so we did that for about two weeks. Uh, practice was just kind of, uh, we were held in limbo. So our, our swim program, our volleyball program, since they were indoors, they weren't allowed to go indoors. Luckily, our, our community has outdoor uh, pools. So our swim program was able to take a pool time at six in the morning every day for two hours, practice outside. And then, um, you know, at the end of the month, they were left with not knowing if they're going to be indoors. So we continued to do that. Um, after two weeks, so I, I keep alluding to this two-week thing. Um, after two weeks, we got noticed that they were going to allow certain sports to continue to start competing, and then they were going to cancel football for the season and move it to the fall. Ideally, uh, what it was going to look like was that we were going to go on with the rest of our fall sports. So that would have been soccer, men's soccer, tennis, uh, which was the only sport at that time that was allowed to compete, actually compete, um, because of the spacing, the distancing on the, the courts. Um, they were the only ones that were allowed to compete. Um, soccer was allowed to start competing. Cross-country was then allowed to compete. Um, and the other ones were kind of held in limbo while we decided to hold football off. Um, they, they had released a plan, or there was uh, rumors of a plan that was going to put winter sports kind of condense those sports and then allow football to start in March and have a condensed season in March. Um, Jeremy, I know you've never been to Michigan, but if anybody's ever been to Michigan, Patrick, you're looking at, you're laughing right now, but um, football in March, any outdoor sport in March is hell. Um, you know, we start our spring sports in March, but we never get outside until the middle of April because the weather is so unpredictable. And I'm in the southern, southeastern corner of Michigan. Uh, you can drive 300 miles north and still be in Michigan, and it's a completely different climate. Um, you know, we, our, our, our president for Mats is uh, all the way up in the UP, and I, I believe his one of his uh, families is, uh, is Santa Claus. Um, they're so far north, and they don't get any, any sun uh, until about May. So... Um, you know, what was that going to look like for those sports, those teams all the way up north in the UP, which is basically Canada? Um, you know, th they weren't even going to be able to get outside until May. So how does that affect those teams? So we had to look at a lot of those things uh, and, and how can we provide, number one, the best care, but how can we provide an equitable experience for everybody in the state of Michigan when we knew we weren't going to be able to? Um, so we delayed football. Everybody started getting going. And then about two weeks later, um, the governor reversed another order and the state of Michigan, the MHSAA, then allowed football to continue. Um, they provided another two-week uh, training camp. So practices are allowed for two weeks to kind of reacclimatize. And then uh, we kicked off, I believe, in week three or week four of what our schedules are. So everybody missed the first three games. We jumped into the next couple of games. Um, and actually, as we're sitting right now, we're already at the tail end of our season uh, with football, and a lot of our sports are starting to, to finish up. <clears throat> In fact, Thursday, uh, we have regional tennis uh, beginning, so uh, that's the beginning of our playoffs here in Michigan. A lot of changes, a lot of changes, a lot of adaptations. Um, 
a lot of times where I was kept on my toes and a lot of times where I was not able to act as an athletic trainer, but I was able to use our skills that we've been, we've been talking about to lead up and help make changes for our district and our, our communities. I see Jeremy Davis is watching live or joined the Facebook live. So Jeremy, thanks for joining us there. All right. So there's a lot of conversations and I think every athletic trainer has been, was in a similar situation. Patrick was talking about the same thing. He, they had like two games and then playoffs, something like that. So here in Texas, we basically just pushed everything back from the, in the fall, just kind of pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, but didn't really adjust anything else. So basketball is still the same. The only thing they did is no tournaments instead of, um, and so you can have like an extra game or on Saturday or something like that, but no tournaments. So you're not having the large groups. And then most everything is the same as far as schedule and timing and that kind of thing. But there's a lot more overlap and football and volleyball go a lot longer, but basketball still starts almost right on the same time. So it's interesting there. And honestly, I wasn't involved in any of those decision-making process, wasn't asked my opinion, anything like that. So I don't have a whole lot to talk about here leading up the chain, but we will talk about some of the other stuff that I did here at my campus. All right, so Patrick, do you have anything uh, different to add as far as story-wise? Um, the story in Indiana, we, we, we were uh, going to stage four of, out of five, July 1st. Um, they actually backed it to four and a half uh, because of our numbers were a little, little higher. Um, but similarly to what John was talking about, Indiana was, gonna, was going to IHSA, uh, had made no indications they were going to postpone football ever, ever. Um, August 5th was the start of our fall season. Um, so in July, we, they were able to have a limited contact. We did, we Highland opted to stay within uh, the phase two of the NFHS document. Um, and then, uh, so football, volleyball practice outside on our turf. Uh, we weren't allowed into the building. He, they were allowed by the governor to be in the building, but, uh, our AD and our administration, we decided to wait till August 5th, um, we still, as of, as of right now, we don't have locker rooms. We don't use the, the football team doesn't use locker rooms um, as well. Um, state of Indiana kind of left it up to individual uh, county health boards and really left it up to school districts. Uh, in, that, in our area right here, uh, there was one main school district decided they weren't going to do fall sports at all. Um, and then on uh, September 17th, reversed that decision and are going to allow that. Um, again, uh, you know, Tom Barkowski, uh, you know, is a, is a colleague of mine and was a former uh, one of my employees. Uh, his school uh, waited uh, a little extra till after September, but they were allowed to practice uh, after September 1st. Uh, they were practicing in August. They missed the first four games. In Indiana, we're, I'm similar to John, we're, going to be done with football probably in three to four weeks. Uh, we have two regular season games. And then in Indiana, everybody makes the playoffs. So it's called sectionals. We have first round sectionals. Um, and then it's, you know, a week by week basis. Soccer's ending this week. We're in sectionals right now. We're hosting sectionals at our school, boys in our section um, and girls. Fall in Indiana is the busiest time. Uh, we have the most sports. Um, so, uh, I, had, I have a great, so our, it was left up to individual school boards to define what they wanted to do. And I, my AD and I, he, he did all the hard work as far as the uh, numbers and 
submitted it to the county, Lee County Health Department, and they approved or disapproved the plan. And um, our governor in Indiana um, last week or the week before moved us to stage five, which allows for 500 uh, capacity people. So um, we're still doing our social distancing, we're, and you're still required, uh, recommended, required to wear uh, masks when you can't socially distance. So we still do that. Um, and each individual school was doing either virtual or a hybrid. Highland just went into uh, the option of in-person or virtual. So we, we're a population of about 1,100 students at Highland. And I don't, I, last number I heard, maybe 70% of the student body was attending. The rest are doing virtual. Um, and we, went, we shifted to a block system instead of uh, seven periods daily. So we, the school made a lot of changes. Um, and then our, our administration, like I said, none of the athletes are using lockers, locker rooms, um, except for like Friday night football. They, they, they can put their stuff on and put their stuff off. So um, I will give a shout out to Mark Stonerock. Uh, he and I serve on the GLADA board together, and he's way up there uh, in Marquette. And the UP is a different animal, that's for sure. Uh, as a Michigander, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up on the other side of the state, West Michigan. Uh, where lake effect snow is a real thing and uh, that uh, you know other than Michigan going to the spring to play football which I thought would be tough UP again there is no such thing as spring and then our friends in Minnesota golly I mean they I don't know how you they were moving football to the spring as well and then they reversed uh, because there is no spring in Minnesota I don't think so that's kind of how we're doing it in Indiana so we kind of get a pretty good picture of what it looks like uh, down here in Texas and Indiana and Michigan. And so just taking that into consideration with what your picture, what your sports look like, uh, wherever you are listening, wherever you are watching, whether you're watching on Facebook or listening later, um, and just kind of fit that into one of the, I guess, two extremes, something like that. <clears throat> so, John, you mentioned lots of late nights. I think one, one time you emailed me back at three in the morning, uh, your time. I was like, dude, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> right. And I was like, I know, I know you get up early and go to the gym, but it's because you were up early to look because of the storms. And so you get to make the adjustment because of everybody was practicing outside. So let's talk a little bit more about the conversations you were involved in from the beginning and, and then kind of how those affected the process. Yeah, I, you know, quickly, I want to talk about, um, you know, some of the places we had reached out to and who we had talked to. Um, Jamie Woodall had put out a document uh, with the UIL. Um, that was an amazing, that is an amazing document. Um, I, I would be remiss to, to not give her any kudos, give her team, give the people at the UIL. The document that they put out um, really set the standard for a lot of places. Uh, and in fact, when we got that document here uh, in Michigan, we used it as much as possible. Uh, we took a lot of that information because it was a very robust um, document and, and it had so much great information on how we needed to go forward. Um, for me, that was the standard that got put out there. Uh, and I wanted to use that standard as much as possible, um, whether it was here in the state of Michigan uh, or at my high school. Um, so, you know, we, we use that as much as possible. Um, so thank you, Jamie, uh, for putting that out and, and her team that, that really helped with that. 
Um, yeah, you know, so we we did a lot um, of planning. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it, a lot of what we talk about is relationship and community building. Uh, and, and that's really a, a good mark of a leader, I believe. Um, it's been a long journey for me at, at my high school, um, but luckily I'm in a place where I'm able to communicate with the stakeholders of our our school district. Um, I right now I can I can look at my phone right now, and uh, I sit on a a group text with my administrator, our school board president, our superintendent, and our principal. Um, if you're able to have that type of communication with those people, uh, you're really going to be able to affect how things are changed. So, um, you know, we, pr we pretty much set the standard of how we are going to treat our students and our community and how we are going to uh, provide a safe and equitable place for them to participate in sports. Uh, because what we were doing at the high school for athletics, um, that really set the tone for how we were going to go back to face-to-face. -face. Um, Patrick, you brought up kind of how the, the school days are um, for you. Yeah, they changed completely for us. Um, at one point, we were faced to go completely virtual for the first month. Uh, and actually, yesterday was the first day that we went face-to-face -face, uh, in a hybrid method, hybrid model. Um, so we do, do two cohorts. We're on a block schedule. So Monday, Tuesday is cohort A and uh, Thursday, Friday is cohort B and we clean the building in between. Um, you know, so we were, in, we were in talks with how we can provide as much information uh, for that type of change. And then we just went from there. We were able, we were um, there to answer any questions. Um, you know, I was looking up constantly, um, almost ad nauseum as much information as possible. My, my bookmarked tab on my computer became uh, a COVID kind of collection. It was the CDC, it was the state health department, it was Oakland County Health. Um, you know, we were looking at Twitter. I had a, a marker on Twitter for as much, you know, any information. Um, and we were trying to keep our ear to the ground as much as we could because if we saw something pop up in a neighboring community, how are we gonna be able to protect our students? Um, and that's what we had to do. So yeah, long nights, long days. Um, and they were long nights and long days um, because I wasn't doing athletic training work per se. I wasn't providing hand-to-hand -hand care. I wasn't actually evaluating injuries. I was out there um, all of a sudden a, an epidemiologist. Um, you know, I was listening to um, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, who is a, an epidemiologist, has a great podcast. Uh, he was putting out twice a week. Uh, so my mornings were then listening to those things. Uh, so I'd be um, listening to as much information as I could while I'm researching as much information I could, taking whatever I could and providing it back to that text message to those stakeholders to help make decisions going forward. Um, yeah, and then it, you know, you fall back on the other duties that we have because we always forget sometimes we're the weather people. Uh, and then I had to know when it was going to rain and when it was going to storm. And yeah, that day that I had emailed you back, um, I had just kind of woken up. I had walked down to our basement and then I realized it was really bad thunderstorms here. And then I had to make plans for the day. Um, earlier that week, we had another thunderstorm. The forecast was terrible for the day. And, um, you know, we just set it out. We said, listen, we're canceling for the day because the forecast looks terrible. And by about 11 a.m., it was the most beautiful summer day. 
And, you know, I won't take that decision back because, um, you know, we did something for a reason. We just didn't cancel things. Um, and then, you know, it just forced me to, to think how I was going to do it better next time. Uh, because we did get, we got a kickback from parents. Why did we cancel? It's a beautiful day out. Well, we canceled because if there were a pop-up storm, we wouldn't be able to provide shelter for anybody. We can't get anybody indoors. We can't, there's nowhere in our, our facility to hide under something unless you want to go hide under a metal bleacher. Um, so it was a lot of information collecting and then disseminating information from a medical standpoint because we are healthcare providers. Uh, and, and if something else comes out of this, it's, it's proven that athletic trainers are valued healthcare professionals and our opinions aren't opinions, they're facts and they definitely matter. Talking about the group text thing. So that sounds like you have used those relationships and your experience in your time there to connect with the most influential people the biggest decision makers in your school and you know that's not something that just happens and and there are you know some smaller school districts where the superintendent might just come sit on the golf cart with you while you're out watching a baseball game something like that Um, in a school district like mine where there's I think 70,000 students in our school district then you know it's a lot harder I do know the superintendent I've, you know, interacted with her multiple times and uh, my associate superintendent and my principal, you know, and throughout this journey, we've talked about how I struggled. And one of the things we're going to be talking about coming up on the leadership series is earned leadership. And it was interesting. It was interesting for me. And I'll share this in a little bit more. But whereas last year was my first year as the most experienced AT, I, I just assumed since I had been here that all this stuff would be there for me, but it wasn't. It was a situation to where I had to go back and reinvest. And um, some of the things that we've been doing this year actually have been leading our school district. So whenever my athletic director gets in the meetings with the other athletic directors of the school, uh, of our uh, school district, they're like, oh yeah, hey, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And so he shares what we're doing because me and him talk almost every day. Hey, what are you doing? What do you think is best? Where would you like to go? What can we do? How can we adjust? And so everybody seems to be following what we're doing here because there was something there. Honestly, I told Sarah last year, or I told Sarah just recently, like this year is different. Last year, because of the situation that happened at the beginning of the year, which was my fault, I felt attacked and I felt not supported. So then I felt like I was fighting for myself all of last year. Whereas this year I come in, I'm like, you know what? What's done is done. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to communicate. And it makes a huge difference if I'm coming from a a place of trauma, I guess, versus a place of security. And so where I'm coming in there and I'm secure, I'm able to have those conversations. Hey, here's here's what I've been reading. Here's what I think. Here's what we should do. You know, all right, well, let's try cups. All right, well, what do you think? What are you thinking about there? Okay, well, let's buy these hands-free devices. It's, you know, make sure they're wearing the mask. Let's make sure the kids are only involved in doing this part. And those different conversations because of the relationship, but also because of the shift in mindset. So Patrick, talking about some of the conversations you have, you mentioned that your athletic director did most of the hard work. You also mentioned that you were furloughed. So in a, in the biggest time of decision-making, they were essentially without a medical provider who is um, paid, I guess. And so talk a little bit about that, how you had those conversations and, and led up the chain. Perfect. Uh, luckily, 
um, when the the notification of the of I was never furloughed. I was laid off, luckily. So I there was never any. I was getting paid for my duties all through June, um, and then we were officially laid off June twenty sixth. Um, so the month of July um, was kind of like an open area because, and I I had talked to uh, our AD and our and, and again the superintendent had those relationships. As I listen, I can I'll work, um, you know, by the hour, um, and we weren't going to do a lot, but we were going to do about four hours. It would, we compacted our schedules so they wouldn't practice. They practice from basically all sports practice from like nine or eight to twelve, so that was about a four hour thing and we luckily have enough space to do all boys soccer girls soccer volleyball on the turf football um, cross country did their kind of own thing we are very we're a suburban urban school so we're landlocked so it's not a lot of open fields but uh, and I told him as I'll work for an hour, uh, hourly as long as you as long as you guys cover my liability insurance or I was looking or pay for my liability Luckily, the school was able to work out a professional liability for me, so I was getting paid by the hour. And then, luckily, again, the other hospital entity picked picked me up literally probably within two weeks of of that layoff. So there was really no interruption of service. Um, but leading up, you know, my AD and I we bounced things off one another. He says we had a reopening plan that he put together again similar to the IUL document and the NFHS program. Um, we combined and amalgamated a couple of different things and what worked for Highland High School um, may not work for our other schools, you know, like Griffith with Jessica or Tom up at East Chicago. Uh, we, so we crafted it to fit what our students could handle indeed did do. Um, like I said, we, we have no. We still don't use locker room facilities, which makes it tough in the training room. I, luckily, I don't have a line of people in my office, uh, but uh, it's hard to follow up with those kids. So I really have to make a better concerted effort to find them. Um, but uh, you know, we we talk about weather. <laughs> you know, we are the weather people. We had a situation last Thursday: pop-up thunderstorm, lake of literally a lake effect thunderstorm, one bolt of lightning set the uh the sensor off within our range at 7.9 miles we had to we were getting ready to kick off freshman football we had a volleyball game going on inside all of our facilities we use for shelter were taken up so we had but we had talked earlier this is where we're going to put home team this is where we're going to put the visiting team and uh we communicate pretty well with that when we suspect that was kind of a literally a bolt out of nowhere. I thought it was going to rain, but I didn't think we would have a, a storm. And it was, I heard no thunder, Why? but one bolt of lightning, <laughs> literally. And then, so we sat out for 30 minutes and played on. So, but yeah, I truly believe having, fostering those relationships with your athletic director, principals, and custodial staff is, is truly, truly, you know, good. Leading up the chain or uh, managing up to your to your boss yeah patrick that's a that's a great person to, to make sure we consider and talk about you know you want to talk about your team within the building um who's going to help provide you the best care for your athletes and uh whenever we brought in any type of decision making 
uh, I made sure that we reached out to our custodial staff. We knew that those environmental service people, um, they were going to be the ones that were cleaning up after us, uh, you know, or providing that safe space within the building and outside of the building. Um, so there was times where we'd come to the meeting and we'd start talking and I'd say, hey, listen, where's Angie? Where's Ken at? You know, those are our environmental service people. They need to be here uh, because if we make this amazing plan for uh, an event and we're allowed to have 200 people and, and we make sure everybody's wearing their masks and everything, what's going to happen if we don't have environmental services there to provide that service? Uh, so you have to think about everybody that's around and everybody that's going to be able to help you do your job. Uh, so it's involving those specialists there. Uh, it's getting your team doctors in on the conversation to um, provide their insight as to how the care is going to be received or changed um, or what, uh, what does an event venue look like when you then have to change things there and, and how can you get the information from uh, different places to provide the best plan possible. So um, yeah, absolutely. We have to always consider talking to um, everybody around us and, and environmental services, your custodial staff. Um, you know, my, my first, uh, I think my first internship in college, uh, about the first week, uh, the athletic trainer I was working with, Chuck Middleton in Michigan, he had uh, said to me, listen, you got two people you always have to make happy and you always have to be really good friends with. It's your custodial staff and it's your secretaries. So if you make friends with those people, uh, you know, you're going to have a really, really easy job because they make your life so much easier. Um, and that's, that's a really good piece of wisdom that you're never going to read in a book. You know, it's interesting. I have a interesting situation where our, one of our custodians, every time they see me, Hey, do you have, you have any shirts for me? Hey, you have any, can you give me, give me some free stuff? Every single time, like not even hello, hi, hey, how are you doing? Not stopping, but it's every single time. I'm like, no, no, just just go away. Like, you know, I, I keep thinking that. I've heard you say that. I've heard other people say that, the custodial staff. And again, that's not what this whole thing is about. But when people say that, I'm like, I no, I don't want to make friends because every, then every single time I see them, it's going to be a give me something conversation. <sighs> you just want to be respected and valued. I, I, I get that too. Same thing. Where'd you get that shirt at? I bought it. Just recently, the begin, beginning of this school year, I sent out an email to all of our opponents saying, hey, this is my phone number and Sophia's phone number. Um, we're obviously splitting a lot of games because we have overlapping games. But at our facilities, this is what will be provided. This, I would like to try and do the medical timeout this year. And this is what it'll what I plan to cover. This is what it should look like. And so we don't have a solid, like, this is definitely the time. This is definitely, you know, we're doing that. But it's something that I'm attempting to reach out to the others. And then I sent it up to um, our district athletic trainer. And so hopefully by doing that, setting that example, that can become the standard for our district, that each school would do that with their opponent. And then when we're playing each other within the district, it should be super easy if we're both doing it on the same page and we have that conversation. One of the cool things that John talked about, um, John actually sent me his script for the medical timeout was the hand signals. And again, John, I'm sure would share that or I can share mine with you what it looks like. Um, but just having those hand signals like, hey, we need the doctor on the field and that'd be the fist up or patting your head 
would mean the EMS arrive, you know, hey, we need the EMS instead of just like trying to wave and flag down the EMS and jumping up and down, right? So if I pat my head, then I need, then my kid, my student aides need to know, hey, go run and get the EMS, right? Make sure that they know that they're coming. But we also have had that conversation so that they know as well. Um, and again, that's an example of something I've learned how I can lead up the chain is let me do the work. Let me put this into practice. Let me tell the other people about it. So another cool podcast that we got coming up is talking about AT value with epidemiology and data collection. And so we're taking all the injury reports and things like that over the last two years because I reached out to my associate superintendent, my principal, my athletic director and said, hey, this is the podcast we're doing. What is important to you? Is it important for you to see the number of injuries, the number of boys, number of girls, number of football players, whatever it is like that? And so, again, it's a matter of reaching out to them, getting them involved, allowing them to give that feedback. Um, and I've tried to do that. But I, like I said, my how I was approaching things last year was more out of a place of like self-defense rather than being part of a team um, and really wanting to grow. And that was just the situation. That's the way it was. And, you know, I've learned and I've grown from there. So, uh, going forward, so from where we are now, what changes long-term, short-term, what do you think the effects are going to be, John? You know, I, I had this conversation with one of my team physicians last, uh, on Friday night. Um, we're seeing a philosophical change of ideas when it comes to athletics, I think. Um, you know, we've taken some importance out of it and we looked at, we're, we're starting to look at things a little bit bigger picture. Um, how important is this game when it comes to community health? How important is it to, um, dress a certain way when it comes to community health? Um, you know, so we're starting to see certain things change a little bit. Um, you know, the pomp and circumstance that gets, uh, placed around a football game. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a very normal or was a very normal thing to see large crowds and bands and, um, you know, these things that we thought were very important to an event like a football game, uh, aren't necessarily as important as they, as they need to be. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to diminish anything, um, but, you know, we talk about mental health, uh, as well. You know, how do sports and how can uh, high school or secondary school athletics help mental health in, in, in this country and with our students? Um, you know, I, I said something a while back. I said uh, anybody who's concerned with mental health now of, of student athletes needs to be concerned in a year when this goes away. And I really hope that holds true. And I hope people really take that to heart. Uh, because it is important. High school sports are important. They're 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 so important to the uh, emotional and physical well-being and, and maturity of all of our students and, and everybody here in in, in America. Um, but we need to think about things a little differently. What really is important is uh, is this game on a Friday night so important that you jeopardize the the health and safety of your whole community your whole state, your whole uh, county. Uh, we need to think, think of things a little bit bigger picture. 
and I think the, the second thing that we're starting to notice is um, athletic trainers really are healthcare providers. You know, we are there. We, we are trained in so many things. We have so many athletic trainers that are specialists in so many different things. Uh, and we're really finding out who those superstars are out there. We have great, great advocates in this, in this country. Um, and if, if COVID highlight, uh, highlighted another thing, it was those superstars on, on social media. Really, really great advocates. You know, Tom, you know, we talked about Tom a couple of times. Um, Eli, who's out there just spreading love. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're starting to see some social justice warriors out there too, spreading the importance of diversity and inclusion in healthcare. Um, if we didn't have that, if we didn't have this time to kind of step back and, and really look at our profession and to, to push some of the importance through, uh, who knows where we'd be right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people had to suffer with, with loss of jobs and time off. And um, that provided them an, an ability to push forward the message of athletic training and what we are and who we are and, and, and what we can provide for our communities. Um, you know, I really hope that uh, school districts, uh, communities recognize the importance of who athletic trainers are and what we can do. We're not just there to tape bagels and, and to provide a bag of ice. We are healthcare professionals with a medical background and we can help. We're there to help. We are a service. And, uh, and I don't think anybody gets into athletic training not knowing that. We know that we're there to help and we're there to provide a service. Um, and, and I think people are really starting to recognize that. So uh, impact long-term on sports. I really hope that's one of the things that we see as the importance of athletic trainers uh, as healthcare professionals. All right, Patrick, same question, but I got to ask you something real quick, John. Um, the people who don't have a seat at the decision-making table, like I said, I was not asked one single question uh, about what should we do? What should it look like? Other than by my athletic director, the person I'm like directly in contact with, so the principal, the associate superintendent, the superintendent, they didn't ask the athletic trainers or even the district athletic trainers about those decisions because they were making a, you know, from a more administrative level. So to the people like me that didn't have that voice, what would you say? So we're going to come back to that, John. So be ready. Patrick, what do you think long-term? Uh, I, I echo what John was saying, you know, uh, the mental health aspect, uh, is really brought to the forefront. You could, I could see it in my, my student athletes. Um, I can see it in myself actually, you know, it, um, I, I, I mocked, uh, in the spring when, you know, sp spring in Northwest Indiana is about like it is in Detroit. It's, you know, it's wet, cold, you know, we probably lose more, lose more games to weather than we actually play track at 45 degrees. Isn't fun. Um, but in our big day, I remember our, big, our biggest day that we were supposed to have athletics, uh, we, it rained and it was cold. And I was like, I'm glad I'm not standing out in that. But then you got to miss that. And then, you know, I, every Friday night I was like, wow, I'm just glad that we are able to play this game. And I'm glad I'm able to provide a service. Because uh, uh, two of these student athletes and see those kids perform. Um, and if we would have lost that, I, I don't know how that would have been, but it goes back to also these athlete trainers, the value that we provide for these schools. Uh, when, when I was laid off, the community rallied behind me and they were like, what do we need to do? Uh, 
And they were like, can we have a game without an athletic trainer? I was like, yeah, you can. I mean, there's not a law or there's not a mandate that you have to have an athletic trainer in the state of Indiana, that is. Um, but um, they were concerned. Like, who's going to take care of everything? I was like, I don't know. Well, we'll you're going to have to work it out. But luckily they did. Now there are other schools in our county that um, – they were. They had athletic training services. Then the then the layoff happened. And as far as I know, to this day, they have nobody. Um, so they're playing. They played football on Friday, Saturday last week with no athletic training services. Um, game still went on. Um, so, you know, it it I say say it is what it is. And they everybody wants an athletic trainer, but they don't want to pay for an athletic trainer. Or they're like, well, we'll give you ten dollars an hour. No, you know, show. So there are schools that are not having athletic training services because they will not pay for that. And I, I agree we are, we're a service, but uh, – and, and as a seasoned athletic trainer, I, I gave a lot of it away for free. I, I, I freely admit that. Um, and uh, my mentor, Mike Braid, you know, he said, the more is expected, the more is expected, the more is expected. And I didn't believe that when I was 25, but when I'm 45, I believe that. So – uh, don't give it away for free. All right, John, should I send a bunch of emails with the latest COVID stats? Should I send uh, all the flyers from Josh and Jamie Woodall to my administration saying, here is the best practices? So what do I do if I don't have that seat at the table in those crucial decision-making moments? You know, I think part of it is is learning how to communicate with individuals, uh, and that's something I had to really take away uh, from a lot of these lessons that I learned a handful of years ago. It's it's community, it's it's relationship building. You're nothing without the people around you. Uh, and there's there's I think two different ways to go about it. It's probably more than that, but in my opinion, there's two different ways. You can either force your way into the door, or you can cultivate a relationship, knowing that it's going to pay dividends at the end. Um, and, and there's people that are abrasive uh, and they may get something that they want immediately, but guess what? They're going to be met with more resistance next time around and more resistance later. Um, there's a time and a place to be abrasive and there's a time and a place to cultivate relationships. Um, you know, anybody that's a, a gardener who knows uh, who's done a little bit of gardening, you know, you got to plant that seed first before you, you know, you get that, uh, that flower to grow or that, that vegetable to grow. Um, that was something I had to learn to do. It was instead of threatening, uh, which is something I've done in the past, if it doesn't go my way, then I'm going to take my ball and go home. Um, that's not going to get me anywhere. Uh, you know, I'll be home alone and, and without a job if I, can, if I went about things that way. Um, I had to learn how to ask. Uh, ask to be at the seat. Uh, ask to be at the table. Uh, and it wasn't just ask to be at the table. It was, hey, can I be in the building for this? hey, can I be in the room for this? Hey, I have a really good idea. Can I sit at the table now? Uh, and then it was just reaching out and, and introducing yourself. Who are you? Who are you as a person? What are your thoughts? What are your values? What are your virtues? What are your morals? How can that provide insight and how can that provide help for who you're working with? And then you just start educating. You communicate, you over communicate, and you educate. Uh, but it's not, you know, education isn't just throwing stats against a wall or throwing uh, documents at people. It's providing your expertise analysis. 
uh, on a on a subject on a topic. Uh, and, and if you're right, and if you know what you're talking about, people start trusting you. The more people trust you, the more they're going to reach back out to you for uh, for other topics, for other ideas, for other problems. Um, and and the more you are able to provide those services and and to earn trust and earn respect, the more you become a, a staple at the table. And then there's going to be times where you're going to be at the head of the table and directing those things. It may not be forever. It may not, uh, you know, be for just one practice or one, one meeting. Uh, but if you're able to sit at the table or lead the table in a discussion, um, you better, you better know your subjects. You better do your homework because if you say something wrong, if you say incorrectly, if you don't give the right information, you are going to have people lose your trust. And once that's gone, it's really hard to get that back. So be knowledgeable about what you're talking about. And you know what? The best thing you can always say at a meeting, the best thing you can always provide with somebody is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But guess what? I'm a really hard worker and I'm going to find out, or at least I'm going to get you in the right direction. And I had to do that a handful of times. You know, I'm, I'm not all knowledgeable. Nobody is all knowledgeable about this, you know, what's going on. Um, it's changing daily, you know, from what we thought back in March to what we thought yesterday is completely different. Um, and, you know, and, and, and you have to take a time to, to put your ego in the back. Um, we shut things down March 12th, I believe. And I, I remember seeing a picture the next Monday, March 15th or 16th, um, and it was all the building leaders and all the administrators uh, in our uh, in our district sitting in a boardroom. And I was so pissed that I wasn't there. I'm like, how dare them not have me there? I'm, I'm a medical expert. I'm, I'm John Seco. How dare them? I, I know everybody listens to the sports medicine broadcast at that in that room, I think. I don't know, probably. They should have me there. But then I had to think, okay, that's fine. When the time comes, I know I have to know my stuff. And that's where it led me down the, the path of, uh, of reading website after website, newspaper after newspaper, article after article, uh, communicating with our community, infectious disease doctors, uh, our sports medicine staff, uh, our, our team physicians. Uh, and then once that time was up, I was able to provide the best information. And, you know, here we are. You know, things are going pretty well at our school district. Uh, you know, we have scenarios in place where if a student gets sick, we know how to handle things appropriately. Uh, it's out of my hands. We have a, a person that has been hired to um, direct that stuff. But guess what? Our school district wouldn't have had that if they didn't come and ask me what we needed. We need somebody that's going to lead that charge. And we have that person. So now we have somebody directing care from a medical standpoint when it comes to this disease throughout the whole school school district. I do want to add that uh, what John was saying is everybody wants to be in the room where it happens, you know? So if you uh, ever watch your Hamilton, you want to be in the room where it happens. And I agree <laughs> totally. I can say I have been singing parts of Hamilton for months now and my kids, uh, especially if they say something like look around, because we play Minecraft and you have to look around. You're like, look around, look around. All right, so <laughs> I need to leave that there. But yes, Hamilton, if you haven't seen it, 
even if you don't like musicals, it it's awesome. Not anything. Hey, I think that that's great. Um, I, I loved Hamilton, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna pull a lot the rest of the series from history. What can we learn from history? Uh, and and I, as a, a big of a geek as I am when it comes to leadership, I loved Hamilton. But I sat there and thought, man, there's some really great leadership lessons oh, no. from this. So oh, 21, 2021. So we'll start a, a not a book club, but whatever it is, a watch party. <laughs> what? All right, so as you're talking about what we're doing the rest of the season, I mentioned um, we're, we'll be doing one with Kevin Parker. It's kind of focused on the about phase and earn leadership. But then we're next week we're talking about conflict resolution with Patrick again. So John and Patrick are going to discuss conflict resolution. And we have all been in a situation to where, oh, I mean, just that, that coach, right? And even recently, you got to think about like, I've had conflicts with this one coach, but now I'm starting to build that relationship. And there's still that, that edge of tension. Like, well, why can't you do this? Here's why coach that you're misunderstanding the situation. That's not the situation. Okay. Hey, Hey, will you help me do this? Sure, man. I got you. Right. (sighs) Conflict resolution. It's not easy, but that's, that's why we're going to discuss it. We'll tell some stories of our failures and maybe some of our successes too. Um, John, what else do we have? Rick Cox coming up, right? Yeah. So uh, next week we're going to talk about conflict resolution. Um, you know, I think that's a, a great lesson to be learned as a leader. Um, you know, so Patrick's going to help us out on that one again. Uh, like you said, we're going to talk with Kevin Parker uh, and talking about earned leadership, uh, and we're going to pull some pull, pull some pull from history uh, as to how you either learn leadership or how you get a, a seat at the table. Um, and then we're going to talk with Rick Cox. Rick's a, Rick has been another one of our, our fans when it comes to this series. Um, and I want to bring him in and talk about his path to um, leadership and, and how he's used the past couple of years and, and some of our reading materials, things we've discussed and, um, you know, how we carried this conversation over the year uh, between series, uh, how it's how it's affected him and how it's affected his practice as an athletic trainer. Um, and then. Um, We'll kind of wrap everything up with that and and move forward. And then there is another one in November, not specifically part of the leadership series, but it's goal setting and athletic training. And again, I think that comes from leadership and we've talked about goals and goals are an important part of being a leader. So John's going to kind of moderate that conversation so it doesn't get too heated, you know. Um, but we're, we're going to discuss goal setting and athletic training, specifically with patients returning to play and we've talked about patient-based care. So a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm excited about that. Uh, good to be back kind of in the normal flow. So without much further ado, in the show notes, I don't think I even mentioned that in the beginning. This will be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leading up the chain. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leading up the chain. This is, uh, I'm sorry, in, the, in those show notes, John has posted... I think about four documents, three documents that they've used for COVID or probably medical timeout, different things, guidelines, helpful documents. Again, as a leader, he's sharing what he has. He's making sure the whole team understands and all that different stuff. So if you have questions, reach out to John, which usually the best way is on Twitter. So that's John Seco on Twitter. You can reach out to Patrick, which is, you can search his name, Patrick O'Haver or... P-A-T-C-1996, 
And then obviously me, Jeremy Jackson on Twitter, super easy to get a hold of. And so those will be mentioned. And as we tweet about this uh, conversation later, Patrick, what is the 1996 in your name? Um, it's kind of a throw out actually. It's when I officially graduated from Northern Illinois actually. Um, but uh, I didn't get certified till 97. So, all right, John Sego is a big fan of Myotech. They're right there close to them. They do great service. I got a call with Paul coming up about how we can help athletic trainers and this time get them the supplies they need, the things uh, that, that are important to us. And so when I talk to him, you know, I'll, I'll share with you guys what's, what's going to be coming from Myotech and their support for the Sports Medicine Broadcast. So if you want to go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash myotech, you can use the code DSMB or wherever you go to the Myotech store, um, go to use DSMB and it gets you like a discount and free shipping or something like that. Um, check that out again. If you have any questions about Myotech, you can find them on social media, but you can also ask John or Craig Lewin uses Myotech a lot too out there in that area, get their personal, you know, direct message opinion or phone call opinion. So I guess it's not just me talking about it from a distance, but those guys actually use them regularly all the time. And I've had nothing but good experience with the guys from Myotech as well. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leading up the chain links, contact information. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leading up the chain. So for Jeremy, John Seiko, Patrick O'Haver, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. Good work, guys.